Well, good morning. It's wonderful to be able to share with you the word. Uh, I had hoped to uh, preach this sermon for you from the side of a mountain. We're, we're starting a new series this morning looking at the Sermon on the Mount. So I'd hope to be up uh, on the mountainside preaching this to you uh, today. But unfortunately, the weather did not permit. So here we are uh, in familiar surroundings. Let's pray as we come to the word this morning. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, we ask that you would open our ears and our hearts, that we may hear and understand the heart of your word. Lord, may it transform us and change us. May you lead us and guide us in your ways, we pray. Amen. So, so this morning we're starting this new series titled Kingdom Living. Looking at the teachings of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. I titled the series Kingdom Living because central to Jesus' teaching is understanding the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven as Matthew refers to it. It's so important that this is the central theme through which Matthew tells, the, tells us the good news of Jesus in his gospel. So before we can really dig into this series, we need to have a starting point of what Jesus means by the kingdom of heaven. It's certainly something that we will be building on as we go through this series. But what exactly are we looking at when we talk about the kingdom of God or, or the kingdom of heaven. They're the same thing, and for the purpose of this series, we're going to be referring to it as the kingdom of heaven. At the most basic foundation, when we think of a kingdom, we, we, we think of a king or a monarch, a queen, uh, ruling over their dominion, over all that they have authority and power over. And in the same way, that's, that's true of the kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom the kingdom through, over which he has all authority and power, which includes everything. Yet there is a distinction as we, we, we read through Scripture, we find that, the, that, uh, the, that God tells us about the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of heaven. So two distinct kingdoms, again, over which he has authority, but not specifically what we're looking at. We're looking here at the kingdom of heaven, which, which shares different characteristics and different, uh, uh, different nature to the, the kingdom of, of the world. <clears throat> when, we, when we think of the kingdom of the world, all that is involved in that is, is the uh, impact of sin and the consequences of sin which rule over the world. We're told that Satan himself is the prince of this world. And so while ultimately God has control over it, when we look around, we see the brokenness, we see the dysfunction, we see the sinfulness within this world, the death and the corruption of God's creation. That's not a result of God's kingdom. That's a result of man's sinfulness. So the kingdom of heaven is distinct from the kingdom of the world because the ways of the world are defined by the rejection of the ways of God's kingdom. 
The kingdom of heaven then represents the dwelling place of God and his relationships with, with those who are a part of his kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is represented by God's righteousness and his holy ways. We see this not simply as something that is unattainable and rubbed in our faces, <clears throat> but in contrast to the ways of the world. This is God's preferred way of living. The way he created us to live and intended us to live, the way he desires to engage with us in relationship and to live life to the full. And while we acknowledge that living perfectly in God's way is impossible for us this side of eternity, though through God's grace, Jesus has made it possible for us to enter into a relationship in the here and now, which, which then continues into eternity. A relationship through which we are transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, where we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus and we are found righteous before God, not through our own deeds, through our own works or our own achievements, but by His grace. <clears throat> this is the kingdom of heaven in, in a rough kind of a sense. And it brings me to the last point that I want to make about the kingdom of heaven. You see, the kingdom of heaven is here now. It came with the coming of Jesus to open the gates, open the doorway for us as mankind to enter back into a relationship, a personal, intimate relationship with the Father. But... It's also not yet. The kingdom of heaven uh, came with Jesus, but it will be fulfilled in its fullness uh, on his second coming. We, we know from the, the book of Revelation, when the kingdom has come in its fullness, there will be no more sickness, there will be no more weeping, there will be no more pain or death, there will be no more sin in God's kingdom. So what is the kingdom of heaven now? What can we expect from the kingdom of now? And this is where we kick off our, our series this morning. I've titled this message, A Portrait of Kingdom Living. As we look at what are commonly referred to as the Beatitudes, we don't simply see a list of things that we should be doing or attitudes that we should be, we are supposed to have. We see the brushstrokes of a portrait of the kingdom of heaven being painted before us, a description of what it's like to live in the kingdom of heaven now. It's essentially what we can expect to see and experience, to know and, and to grow in as we live together with God in the kingdom of heaven. Conversely, if we find ourselves rejecting or stubbornly refusing these things, these norms, these fundamental aspects of the kingdom of heaven to be growing in our hearts or be willing to pursue them with, as we pursue Jesus, it might give us pause to consider how willing we really are to be a part of God's kingdom and perhaps how much we might prefer to dwell in the kingdom of the world. These can be tension points within our life and within our faith. They can be seasons of growth or as with the rich young ruler, 
a measure too great for us to surrender to, a step too far where we're not willing to go. So if you're willing, let's jump in. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Just pause right there for a second. Let me explain what's going on here. So here we find ourselves somewhat early in Jesus' ministry. Seeing the crowds gathering, he was conscious that he didn't simply want to be seen as a sideshow for all of the, the miraculous works he has been doing. So he withdrew up to the mountainside. This would have been within the region or around the region of Galilee. And there we see that his disciples came to him. His desire was to teach them, to, to help them grow in their understanding of their relationship and their covenant with God. The reference here to uh, disciples is not exclusively the 12 disciples that we th see throughout the Gospels, but much broader than that. This is uh, in, in Matthew's Gospel, he's showing us that this is happening before he has called all of his disciples to come and follow him. <clears throat> And, and so we know throughout the Gospels that, that aside from the 12, there were many, many, many more who, who wanted to follow Jesus and did for, for periods of time. They followed him. They, they sat under his teaching. They learnt from him. And, and so this is, what, this is what we find that separated from the masses who had come to see the sideshow, the carnival act of Jesus miraculously healing we, we see the faithful disciples, those who genuinely, authentically want to follow him and learn from him, follow him into the mountainside, away from the conveniences and the comforts of the towns, to hear him teach. We pick up in verse 2. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Here at the very beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which probably went on for, for several days, not just uh, uh, merely a few hours, we have what we commonly refer to as the Beatitudes. It's an interesting word because it has no attachment within our English language. When we look at the word, it's hard to figure out and it's impossible to see just by looking at the word what it means. 
You know, for many years when uh, I, I would look at this word, I would think that it was some kind of like be attitude. These are the attitudes that we had to be. But in reality, this word beatitudes comes from the Latin uh, beati, beati, which means happy or blessed. So we might more accurately call this section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount the blessings. What's interesting is that the book of Deuteronomy uh, is written in the form of a contemporary contract between a king or a ruler and his subjugated people. So when I say contemporary, I mean contemporary for the time. So we're talking around the time of Moses and the Exodus uh, and the wanderings in the wilderness. Uh, it was constructed in, in the contemporary contract between a king and his subjugated people. I don't want to spend too much time delving into this, but Deuteronomy presents a stark contrast between uh, when, when a, a, in, a, in a worldly sense, a, a king subjugated people by force. It's essentially when a nation or people were forced into a relationship because they'd lost a battle or they'd lost a war or, or, or they had surrendered to a, an oncoming army. And, and they were forced into subjugation, into serving uh, the, the, their new king in various ways. And Deuteronomy is a stark contrast to that because instead of God subjugating people to follow him, forcing people to follow him, he is inviting them into relationship. One of the significant uh, aspects of this form of covenant, this form of treaty between a king and, a, and, the, and his people is a section called the blessings. And, and the blessings were what the people could expect from their king. It's the good things that they could expect to receive from their king. So here at the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he paints this picture, this portrait of the blessings that we can expect as we, as we live in and are transformed as a result of being part of the kingdom of heaven. As we look through this list, we see that the blessings relate to two types of conditions or states of being. Um, the condition or, of our situation and circumstances, so the state of our, 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 our situation. These things are external to ourselves. They impact on our well-being. And the, and the second is the condition or the state of our heart. That is our, our attitudes, our motives and desires from within ourselves. So as we look through this list, we may see that some of these circumstances are more evident in our lives and, and in our hearts than others. And that's okay. They don't all need to be equal because we're, we're living in the now in a season of growth and transformation, each one of us uh, at a different stage, at a different pace, at a different level, and, and God is working individually with us. And so it's okay for us to be growing at different rates, to be uh, seeing different levels of these, these uh, characteristics, these blessings within our lives, these, the, the, these traits within our hearts. So that's, that's okay. Where it might be of a concern, though, 
is when we come to one of these circumstances, we find that within ourselves there is an unwillingness to cultivate the condition of our heart that God desires. Jesus describes here uh, that, that Jesus describes here is an essential part of, of, of the nature of the kingdom of heaven. So let's work our way through, let's break them down. And as we go, think for yourself, take some time to think whether or not you think that, that this blessing is uh, related to our external situation or circumstance, whether it's a condition of our circumstance related to a condition of our circumstance or related to the condition of our heart, the shape of our heart. So here we go. Verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here we begin with the poor in spirit. This is perhaps the most significant, I think, of all of the, the Beatitudes, of all of the blessings. I've struggled to wrap my head around this, uh, this one for many, many years. Does it mean someone who, who chooses or, or lives a life of poverty, um, who, who willingly goes without? Blessed is the person who has very little. That might make sense when we see some of Jesus' others teach, other teachings like the widow's might and the, in contrast to that, the rich young ruler who, who could not give up his material possessions and, and that was a significant blockage for him getting into the kingdom of heaven and being a part of the kingdom of heaven. And where Jesus tells us to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven, not treasures on earth. But, but I think that this view of the poor in spirit misses a significant part of it, and it, that is being poor in spirit. So what, is, what does that mean? What does it mean for us to be poor in spirit? Put simply, it means to recognize, to acknowledge that, you, that we, that you, that I am spiritually bankrupt. In other words, Jesus is saying, blessed is the one who recognizes that there is nothing that they can contribute to their spiritual righteousness. Their spiritual goodness account is not just empty, but beyond deficit, it is completely bankrupt. There is nothing that I can contribute. There is nothing that I can give God to show any form of righteousness in my life. I'm completely spiritually bankrupt. The blessing for this person is quite simple. They're the ones who have a place in the kingdom of heaven. They're the ones, Jesus says, get a place in the kingdom of heaven. Conversely, if you consider yourself to be a pretty good person, that you try to do the right thing, that you keep the law and that you, you, that, and, and all of that should grant you some kind of favour, some kind of advantage in God's eyes, you're sorely mistaken. Only those who can reckon with the helplessness of their condition, of their heart and their, their own sinfulness and can acknowledge before God that they are helpless and only by God's grace and Jesus' sacrifice they can be saved. Jesus says, then... You are blessed because then you can belong to the kingdom of heaven. This first one is not a condition of circumstance. It's a condition of our heart. It's not about being physically poor and bankrupt. But it's about being 
or authentically humble in our hearts, acknowledging our, our brokenness and our sinfulness. You know, and, that, and that doesn't change. The moment you, you give your life to Jesus, it doesn't change the fact that in and of ourselves, we are spiritually bankrupt every day. But by the grace of God, we stand only righteous through Jesus. There is a, an old, old little joke often that makes its way around churches where uh, someone might say, how are you going? And you say, oh yeah, I'm going, I'm good. And then the retort is, do you know what the retort is? Nobody's good but Jesus. Nobody's good but Jesus. And, and nobody's good except for because of Jesus. So not a condition of our circumstance, but a condition of our heart. The second blessing, verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There are many occasions in our life where our situation or our circumstance just breaks us. When we lose a loved one, when we suffer a significant injury or loss, when life just gets tough and overwhelming. Here Jesus promises that we, we have more than just this empty hope. We have the promise that the almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, is there to comfort us, to comfort you in your moment of need, in your moment of grief. I want you to really grasp this for a moment. What Jesus is saying here, that when life gets too much, when life is overwhelming, when, when grief is just a cup overflowing in your heart and you just feel broken, the arms of the Almighty God, who in the blink of an eye created the stars in all of their splendor, in their vast array across the galaxies, across the sky, those arms... Those very same arms are there to hold you. His hands are there to guide you. And his word is there to comfort you. We see this beautifully reflected in David's psalm, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. God Almighty. Immortal, invisible God only wise, creator of heaven and earth, the ancient of days is my shepherd. He walks beside me. He guides me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord, the kingdom of heaven forever. There is a great promise that God knows us 
and cares about our situation. He cares about our circumstance. He cares about the heaviness in our hearts. And he is there to comfort us in the midst of our most painful experiences. The second blessing is a blessing of circumstance. The third blessing, verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What do you think of when you think of meek? For some reason, I, I think, you know, the, the, the picture that, that paints in my mind is, is just uh, of something quiet, still, kind of like a mouse, I guess. I guess that's sort of like what meek is, but also not quite. A better way to think of meek is gentle or soft. The promise here is that, that the meek, the gentle, will inherit the earth. As a committed follower of Jesus, I've often wrestled with how to make a difference in the world. How, how do we show the lost uh, amongst the earth that they're lost and that they need saving? How, how do we share with them the hope that we have in Jesus? How, how do we share with them God's generous and gracious and merciful love? I've seen many Christians boldly and firmly proclaiming the gospel. I remember many years ago when I lived in Brisbane, uh, there was a, a forecast media shower that we would be able to witness from Brisbane uh, one, one particular night and a mate of mine and I went up to Mount Cutha which overlooks all of Brisbane. Uh, there is the, that's probably the best place to see the night sky and as we arrived at the bottom of the, 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 the kind of area because that was all we could, where we could find a park we were walking up to the lookout with this multitude of people all making their way up to the top, up to this, this big lookout area where we could all stand and look up at, up at the sky. Amidst that crowd, there was a man walking with a sign on his front and a sign on his back and he had a big bell that he was ringing like an old town crier. On the front it said, the end is near. And on the back it said, repent, sinner, Repent. You know, I can't help but wonder how much of a difference that really made or, or how much the people that were walking up at the same time who saw this man just thought, that, that guy's crazy, he's a crackpot. The, the message that he, he deeply desired to share had no traction it was bold, but it was cold. I've seen other Christians with the best of intentions coldly, coldly quoting scripture at people, while others seem to enjoy the fire and brimstone approach. You know, let's scare them into heaven. While a lot of what they say is indeed right and true and biblical, the end is coming. It is coming, as Jesus said, like a thief in the night. Hell does await sinners. 
Oh, I think that what Jesus is showing us here is that there is a, a better way to show the lost that we are not saved to a, a cold eternity of being shamed and scared, but we are warmly invited to receive God's grace and God's love. It's not, a, it's not enough to simply shout the truth at people. Jesus says that the blessing of, of having a real impact in the earth belongs to those whose heart is meek to those who live out the gentleness that we see in Jesus' compassion as he healed the woman who'd been bleeding for 10 years, the way he spoke to the woman caught in adultery, the way he treated Zacchaeus, the tax collectors, in fact, the way that he, he treated all sinners with gentleness, with tenderness, with compassion, these, these people weren't his friends. They weren't the people who, who had given him lots of things, who'd looked after him, who'd done things for him. These were the people who stood in their lives completely opposed to everything that he valued. And he showed them a better way. He, he, he showed them through love and compassion God's way. There's a reason we see gentleness as the fruit of the Spirit and a reason that Paul encourages in Philippians 4 when we're anxious to let our gentleness to be evident to all. Gentleness is a trait of the kingdom of heaven and a condition of our heart that we should, be, we should see growing ever more increasingly. The fourth blessing, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Oh, I love this one because one of our core values as a church is transformation based on sound biblical teaching. Transformation based on sound biblical teaching. Here Jesus shows us that as an active participant in the kingdom of heaven, is that we will have a growing hunger and thirst for His righteousness. And the promise here is that the more we hunger, the more we will be satisfied. It's an extension on Jesus' teaching in John 6, 35, where Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And again, we see this process of continual transformation in 2 Corinthians 3.18, where Paul writes, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree to, of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. As we hunger and thirst for more of God's righteousness, to know God more deeply, he does not turn us away. He does not leave us hungry. He satisfies that hunger. He meets us where we're at to grow us and transform us. This again is a condition of our heart. Do we long and desire for more of Jesus, for more of God and for more of his word? The fifth blessing Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. 
This one is key because we see that here the nature and desire of those in the kingdom of heaven is to grow and become more and more like God, to be continually transformed again, once again, into his image. For, for us to know God, we have to be prepared to live God's way and to love like God loves. Mercy is something that is granted to patiently withhold judgment so that grace can play its part. Without mercy, there is no opportunity for grace. We, we see this same idea pop up uh, in a few weeks when we look at the Lord's Prayer and, and we, we see this command to forgive. A, a command to forgive because if we don't forgive, it disconnects our heart from God's heart. And there's no way that we can grow and we can, we can know God and to know his heart and to know the fullness of life that he desires for us if, if we disengage from God's heart. If we want to know God, if we want to grow in his love, if we want to know his righteousness more and more, if we want to live life abundantly, as Jesus said, life to the full, we need to engage in God's heart and, and that is mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The sixth blessing follows on, and if you like, builds on this one. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Through practicing God's mercy, God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's patience, we see more and more the heart of God. We, we see more of who he is. The blessing for those who are willing to surrender their hearts, to surrender their hurt, their bitterness, is that they will see God more clearly. They will recognize the hand of God at work around them. David shares a little of this sentiment in Psalm 24. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God. The sixth blessing again is directed towards a condition of our heart. The seventh blessing uh, comes in verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I've just said that the sixth blessing builds on the fifth blessing, but another way to look at it would be that um, they, they, they're digging deeper and deeper and deeper into the heart of God. And, and that's what we find here with the, the seventh blessing. We're going deeper into God's heart. When we look at God's plan, God's big and ultimate plan, it's a plan for the redemption of creation, the reconciliation of mankind to himself. If we are to be followers of Jesus, if we are to be God's children, co-heirs with Christ, if we are to be his ambassadors, his representatives, then it stands to reason that our heart should be toward, turned towards God's plan to reconcile where there is conflict, to heal where there is hurt, and to comfort where there is pain. Being a peacemaker 
again, is a condition of our heart. Finally, we come to the last blessing. This one comes in two parts. In verse 10 we see, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The first part of this, Jesus speaks generally of those who are persecuted and then he doubles down and personalizes it. You know, he says, when, blessed are you when you are persecuted, when you are reviled and speak, people speak harshly and falsely about you. The blessing here is not that we should seek out persecution, that we should pray, Lord, let me be persecuted, but that we should also not be surprised when it comes. It's something that we should expect if we belong to the kingdom of heaven. Something that we expect when we're a part of kingdom, heaven, living. When we are living in the lost and broken world. The temptation that we often find that comes with this is to fight against persecution. To fight against those who bring it. But we would be making a big mistake if when dealing with persecution, firstly, to mistake it for times of trial and testing, as we see in James chapter 1, that God uses to grow our faith, to grow our maturity, to deepen our faith and sharpen the impact that we can have. In the same way we've just looked at through the series on Joseph, Joseph didn't see and look upon his time of testing and time of trial and challenge as persecution, but recognised it in the end. He recognised it as God's work, as God's plan. So the first, the first trap is that we jump to this conclusion that why was me, I'm being persecuted. Maybe, maybe there's more to it. The second thing uh, that we would be remiss with if, when facing persecution, we forgot the heart of God it, it is for the salvation of those who persecute us. To know God's heart to live in the kingdom of heaven, to, to look on those who are doing evil towards us with love and compassion and mercy. For those who will not repent, who do not relent, they rest in God's hands, not ours. And I am grateful for that because he is so much wiser than I am and so much more capable with dealing with man's brokenness, man's sinfulness and man's rebellion. I'm not saying that any of this is easy, but I'm saying that this is the picture that Jesus paints for us of what it means to be in the kingdom of heaven, living in relationship with God. Here's the important thing for us to take away this morning. We can't pick and choose the blessings that we like and those that we don't. We can't say, Jesus, I'll take the salvation part, but I'm not going to be a peacemaker or, or I'm not going to be gentle or I'm, not going to reserve, or I'm just going to reserve being nice to those I think 
deserve it. It doesn't work like that. It's all or nothing. You're either a complete follower of Jesus or you're not. You're willing to grow and and let the Spirit lead you and transform you or you're not. I will say this though. I will say this. It's okay to wrestle with it. It's okay to be uncomfortable with it. It's okay to have hesitations and questions. It's okay to say to God, I know you want me to be more patient. I know you want me to be more gentle, more compassionate, more understanding. But man, I find that difficult. Especially with this person or especially with that person. I find it really hard. It's okay for us to have that struggle, to wrestle with these things, so long as the bottom line is this. In Jesus' words, but not my will, let yours be done. Or as David put it at the end of Psalm 139, and lead me in the way everlasting, in your way everlasting. These, uh, this is the portrait of what it means to live in the kingdom of heaven. This is what it, it means to live in the kingdom of heaven, to see these things growing in us as we are transformed. Maybe today, as you've reflected through that list, you feel that there are some that are lacking. There are, that there are some that you just feel maybe have gone stagnant in your life. Maybe there there are some that you desperately struggle with. You find really hard, really hard. I want to encourage you this morning. That's okay. But like Jesus did, we should honestly bring that towards God and surrender it. So I invite you this morning to renew your heart with God. Understanding this portrait of kingdom living, to follow him, to be transformed by his word, the work of his Holy Spirit. Will you surrender your hearts once again with me? Let's pray. Lord, we know there are so many things in life that we just we struggle with, that we are, are so imperfect at, so many things that we don't fully understand, that we can't fully comprehend. Lord, we can't fathom the depth of your love. We can't fully understand the measure of your grace and mercy. And often, Lord, we struggle to know how to make that real in our relationships, particularly, especially with those who hurt us. But Lord, our heart is humble this morning. Will you lead us? Will you take our hearts and mould them and shape them? Or would you make us more like you? That we may know you and and see you. That we may be called your children. That we may be your representatives. And that we may see your mighty power at work redeeming your creation redeeming the lost. Lord, our prayer this morning is simple. Take me, use me, 
mold me, make me into your likeness. Amen.